I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And welcome to the World Football Index Extra Podcast. Tonight we've got a special edition um, focusing on the Chinese Football League and the impact that it's having at the moment on the, the, the Brazilian Football League. To discuss these matters, I'm delighted to announce we have an excellent panel. Uh, first up, we have Mr. Tim Vickery from the BBC down in Rio de Janeiro. You're very welcome back, Tim. Second time on the pod. We're absolutely honoured to have you back. How are you this evening? Yeah, very well. Looking forward to kicking the ball around. Looking forward to learning something about China over the next few minutes. Uh, absolutely. You're a bit like myself. <laughs> um, it's all a bit of a grey area. And, and, and as we said before the pod, there's so little being written about. I'm, 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 I'm dying to hear uh, someone who's actually in the country um, uh, and, and, and touch with these things. And to that end, we have um, Cameron Wilson, who is living in Shanghai and has been for the last lot of years. Um, very welcome to, to the show, Cameron. How are you this evening? I'm great, Dave. Uh, thanks very much for the invitation. It's great to be here. No, it, it, it's, it's lovely to have both of you. As I say, you know, uh, we, we, there's, there's an article out at the moment on WFI which I wrote about the, the impact on on uh, the, the Chinese league at the moment is having on Brazilian football and, and the potential um, that, it, that it might have in maybe 10 years in the future if, if the trend were to continue. Uh, we know here in Brazil, and I'm going to come to Tim first on this one, you know, that there's been massive problems with salaries being paid and, and you know, financial problems. And, and it's Brazil. There's so many problems. Um, and, and the players are now choosing to take their, take their, their living to, to China and, and what do you what what do you see down there in Rio first of all, and and what do you see as the long term uh, effects uh, uh, if this were to continue? Well, the, the long term effects of what's going to happen in China, um, we'll, we'll, we'll pass the ball over to Cameron in a minute. Um, as far as Brazil are concerned, I th- this this January transfer window came as a shock, didn't it? Because uh, we just had the end of last year. Um, the Corinthian side winning the Brazilian championship and they look like they might be the best team to come out of South America in a while. So all very keen to see them in the Libertadores. But by the time the Libertadores kicked off, start of February, that Corinthian side just didn't exist anymore. The Chinese money had come in and whoosh, it had just carried that side almost lock, stock and barrel. 
way over to the other side of the world in China. Now, as far as Brazilian football is concerned, this is a big external shock. Um, they've become used to losing their best players to the European giants, but they're now losing some of their best players the periphery of global football, especially China, um, also the Middle East, and they're looking with some concern at the rise of Major League Soccer in the United States. Um, there's a comparison to be made here, I think, with the 1930s when it was an external shock that forced professionalism in Brazil. Without the, uh, the sale of, of the most promising two young Brazilians in the 1930s to Uruguay, which had already turned professional, that process would have been much, much slower in Brazil. So I think the question now is, as far as Brazilian football is concerned, how can it respond to this new external shock? Because as, as, as presently constituted, Brazilian football is utterly incapable of competing globally. And it's not equipped, it's not built, it's not constructed to compete globally. So the fascinating thing, I think, from a Brazilian's perspective will be, how does Brazilian football respond to this latest external shock. No, I'm, I'm, you're, you're absolutely nail on the head there, Tim. Uh, Cameron, w- w- when you listen to Tim speak there, uh, and you know, for, obviously from from your experience there in the country, and, and you know, as we said, China isn't governed by FFP or anything like we see in Europe. Brazilian football isn't a bit of a mess. You, you know, even even they were to react today, it, it, it seems like it's too late. Uh, to, to respond to this Chinese invasion that seems to be taking over. You know, five years ago they were buying everything that Brazil had to sell, and now it seems to be footballers. Um, fr- from your perspective in the country, um, you, you know, what, fr- from what we, we're, we're saying here, what would your perspective be on that? Well, I think, uh, I think in, in a couple, two important things to say. The first thing is that in China we don't have the FFP, but there is a really strict quota on foreign players. So there's 16 clubs in the CSL, and Every club is limited to signing and uh, to having four uh, four foreign players in the squad. You can have a fifth player, but he's got to be from an Asian country. So if you do the maths, uh, that's uh, well sixteen times four, whatever that is. I'm, I'm not maths is my strong point, but uh, you can see there's there's a there's actual uh, physical limit to the number of players that China can sign that way. So uh, that's the impact is limited that way. The other thing I'd say is that. The rest of the world is kind of woken up to Chinese football, but this this kind of trend of signing Brazilians has actually been going on for quite a few years. Uh, I'm sure you know Dario Conca. Uh, Guangzhou Evergrande signed him from Fluminense in 2011, and he was the first player in his prime who came to play in China because when, uh, when he signed, I think he was 28, and he was the Brazilian League Player of the Year for two years in a row. Uh, so in this way... You've got to look at Chinese football for like a longer term thing. I mean, yeah, they have spent more money in the last window, and yeah, it was shocking, and it did, it did kind of uh, put the cat among the pigeons, so to speak. But it's it's not like uh, something which just happened overnight. And um, Chinese football has been the professional leagues were going twenty years, and they know about football. They know about Brazil being a, a major exporter of players, so. For for now, um, yeah, it's had a big impact. Um, it's it's definitely caused people to notice, but it's been happening for a while, and as far as I can see, it's it's definitely going to continue for 
the next few years at least. No, and, and, and you know, you talk about that there's a quota. You know, it's a bit like, I suppose, you know, Tim mentioned the MLS there. You know, they have a quota of certain outside players to, to, to develop their national game, which they're trying to do at the moment. I take it that, that is a form of sort of protectionism that they have in China there, um, you know, to, to, to try and advance their own game, their own players, Asian players, obviously. Um, but is that, are they, are they tied to how many players they can field from foreign or are they tied to the squad? Uh, you can have four foreign players on a pitch at once, and one of the four has to be from an Asian country. Uh, and for the purposes of football, of course, Australia counts as uh, Asian, because it's AFC, Asian Football Confederation country. So uh, there's quite a few Australians coming in China as well. No, indeed. And, and you know, do, do, do you see, you know, you say there, there, there's constraints involved there because for, for the likes of myself and obviously for Tim as well, I'm sure it just seems like it's money from, from heaven. It's pennies from heaven. The, the, the money just doesn't seem to be an object anymore. You, you know, we would look at some of the transfers. There's players there on what 400,000 US dollars a week uh, and so on. All of a sudden that they, they, they some, they've become this major part of this major player. Yeah. You've got to look at the, owners of the clubs to understand where the monies came from and, and how it's been spent. Um, most of the clubs are owned by real estate uh, companies. And in China, the real estate sector is really strong because uh, basically Chinese people are restricted where they can put their savings. So basically, they can't, they're restricted the amount of money they can send overseas. And a lot of people don't trust the stock market. So to cut a long story short, a lot of people... Ordinary everyday people put their savings in, in, in real estate and they buy property. So the end result is the real estate companies have money to burn. But in this transfer window, Jiangsu Suning, they are uh, they were rebranded and they were bought by Suning, which is uh, the Chinese equivalent of like uh, Currys or like any a kind of electronics retailer. Uh, and because they're like a because they're like a B two C company they have more to lose if their football project goes wrong. So all these real estate companies, they can put their money in a football. If it works, great. If it doesn't, okay, whatever. But for Suning, because they, they're like a, it's like a BTC company, they've, they've got like a public image and they've, they've got quite a... They, they stand to lose if, if the football project doesn't work. So they've basically thrown an awful lot of money and they're this club which signed uh, Texera from uh, Shakhtar Donetsk. I'm not sure how you pronounce that, but uh, yeah, and also Ramirez for Chelsea. I think they're afraid of failure and I think that's why they've just thrown cash at uh, these players. No, I hear you on that. And, 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 you know, Tim, when we hear Cameron speak there, there's, there's a lot of similarities in what he says in, 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 in what we, we see here in Brazil. Um, you know, and as I say, we're talking about if this trend were to continue, you know, Brazil has lost, as you, as you rightly said, Corinthians won the league last season at a canter. I think it was 15 points or something they won the league by. They're probably the only team in Brazil at the moment who had the depth to, to, to take that hit. But it, it, the warning signs for Brazil are, are, are starting to, 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 to sound off. Would you agree? Yeah, I would, yeah. And I suppose, in part, this is a consequence of some of the Chinese clubs hiring Brazilian coaches because uh, Brazilian coaches, quite often, wherever they go, they, they, it's difficult for them to think beyond Brazil. So what's the first thing that Brazilian coaches do? Uh, it's also a nice little favour to some of their mates who are agents. So, uh, you know, that, that money that money sloshes around. 
and, and as, as we were saying earlier on, this, this is, this is a real worry, you know, for, for Brazilian football, which I look at the performances of Brazilian clubs in the Copa Libertadores. They've got much more money than their South American rivals, but you ain't seen any more, more quality on the field. Uh, and uh, losing those players who provide that little little bit of extra quality, uh, I think the one who surprised me, the, the the one who really surprised me who went is the one who Cameron just mentioned there, Alex Teixeira, because that's a player on the way up who had market in Western Europe uh, and uh, has pretty much made it difficult to break into the Brazil squad, and we've seen that it is possible to play in China and be named by Brazil, although for how long? As you mentioned earlier on, Dave is a uh, is a moot point. So the, the the earlier generation, you know, Hikaru Gulach and uh, and uh, Diego Tardelli. Diego Tardelli was was a first teamer, but didn't last very long after going to China. Zhu uh, is a reserve centre back. Renato Augusto is the interesting one because he got into the Brazil first team. Although, and as he made he made it very very clear, and the reason that he's gone is that uh, with his injury record. He just doesn't know how long he can keep it up. So he wants to take the money while, while he can keep it up. So, and most of those have gone are, are towards the end of their career or without market or without a growing market in, in Western Europe, with the exception of Alex Teixeira, who, uh, uh, that was a real coup, I think, for Chinese football to bring someone like that over. No, and, and I don't know if you read it. I, you know, I'm, I'm a Liverpool supporter, so the Texera story is, is, is a little bit sort of close to my heart in the, in the last window. And, and, and I read in the Liverpool Echo, uh, Mark Lawrenson described, um, Alex Texera as having the ambition of a, of a, of a gnat, uh, in moving to China because he did have, a, have aspirations of playing for the Selection. He, you know, he, he came out here. He said, you know, Liverpool is where I want to go. I want to play in the major stages. And then, you know, I understand for Brazilian players, uh, and, and you know, they start from the, the bottom here, and the bottom of Brazil is, is a hard place to begin, uh, and you want financial security for your family. But Tim, to me, it just reeks of, of a real lack of ambition, a real sort of abandonment of ambition. What, what would your thoughts be on that? Well, that's why the Alex Teixeira one disappoints me. Um, one of the reasons, and there, there are several reasons for for this Brazilian exodus. One I mentioned is Brazilian coaches. Uh, another is that well, I think we've seen over recent years that Brazilian players tend to be more motivated by money than players of other nationalities. And you don't get so many cases of Brazilians doing what some of the leading Argentines do, like, say, Juan Sebastian Verón, going back to Estudiantes for less money, voluntarily taking a pay cut to help to help the club out, ending up now as club president, Tevez at the moment at Boca Juniors, or you wonder how long that's going to go on for. Sergio Aguero now saying that he's going to go back to Independiente at the end of his current contract. You don't get that so much from the Brazilians. But one, one question that I'd like to, to throw at Cameron, uh, uh, a Hong Kong-based journalist uh, raised this with me. He said that uh, one thing that can happen with uh, the foreign players who go over there is after a year and a half, they get bored, they get restless, and they want out. Do you see this being a factor? Uh, yeah, Tim, I do. Um, obviously, China's uh, a different prospect from, from Europe, uh, particularly off the pitch and in players' kind of personal life. Uh, and also, you mentioned earlier, Tim, you were talking about, you know, uh, there's a lot of Brazilian coaches in China and they like to sign their players through their mates or their agents. I would say that the, the Chinese transfer market is very murky. Uh, and I think 
there's a lot of occasions where players are signed not for football reasons. They're signed because some agent has got a good relationship with it, where a club over in China and he's got something good going and uh, players will get signed through this guy, not because they're the best players available, but because uh, somebody's became mates with an owner in China. Uh, so that means you get guys coming to China and uh, there's no thought goes into is he, what his personality is. Is is, uh, is he suitable to play in somewhere which is very distant to Brazil? Um, is he going to be able to adapt off the pitch? No, no, there's no consideration goes into that. It's just simply, can the club owner get a nice little kickback from the agent? Can And will the agent be willing to give the owner another player to sign in a year's time? But if you look at you look at a lot of the clubs in China, they cycle the foreigners uh, on a very regular basis. So many guys that come and play for a season and that's it, they're gone. So there's a very serious problem in terms of short-termism where the clubs are not having any kind of longer-term strategy. They're not thinking about how this player or coach is going to fit into the club in two or three years' time. Whatever happened to the uh, five-year plan? It's all a very strange kind of communism this you're telling us about. No tax yeah, on the uh, wages. It sounds like crony capitalism gone mad. It is. Um, there's, a, there's some serious issues, and there's no there's no uh, transparency. Uh, there's no accountability. And I mean, just to, to broaden it a wee bit, if you look at FIFA, which uh, obviously has its, doesn't have its problems to seek, but FIFA has, as we know, they've got like a, a kind of, I don't know if it's a rule or a guideline where national associations are not uh, are not to be subject to govern, government meddling. But the Chinese FA has been part of the government. It's like, on paper, it's part of the government. And in effect, it's definitely part of the government for since forever. But FIFA didn't do anything about it. But at the same time, in Asia, FIFA suspended the uh, Indonesian FA because it was in, interfered with by the government. So, <laughs> and in terms of... Uh, how it's run, there's, there's so many things which are not right, and they're very clearly not right, and nothing's really done. So it creates a bit of an atmosphere where, you know, it's kind of like the Wild West, and that's why part of the reason why my website's called Wild East Football. So I think it's it's like, it's not, it's not, like, it's difficult to get a real handle on it because you don't know what's going on most of the time. You're listening, You're listening to, to the Anfield Index Podcast Channel. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. No, I, I, Cameron, it's fascinating listening to you. And, and, and there's another aspect, and, and I'd really love to hear both your opinions on it, is that, you know, if we, if we take Alex Teixeira as an example of, of a player, as Tim rightly said, on the up, aspirations to play for Brazil, aspirations to have a career. Now, imagine maybe, say, a superpower, one of the bigger clubs, the European elite, come in for this guy. You know, they've already paid over the odds for him. You know, they've paid over his market price. They're paying him probably over his market wages. Um, you know, a European park comes in. Can the Chinese afford to take that kind of a loss if the European club pays market value, uh, market value wages? Tim, for you, surely this is, this is, this is going to be where the, the real crux of the matter comes into being. Well, maybe, and again, this is one for Cameron, really. Maybe the, the, the real crux of the matter comes in when China doesn't have a leader who, who's, who's so into football. Uh, is, is that something which makes the whole thing precarious? That at the moment there's uh, the man at the top of the pyramid is, is a football fan. If uh, if he if he's replaced by someone who's uh, who has other interests, does that make the whole thing precarious? Uh, no, Tim. I don't think it does because the outside world does put a lot of emphasis on Xi Jinping, like the president's love of football and how he's driving the thing. Yeah, Xi Jinping is a football fan and he's accelerated the development of Chinese football. But like I said before uh, about Dario Conco coming to China, this this kind of uh, investment in the game was happening before, uh, and what Xi Jinping has done is taken he's taken a rolling ball and, and pushed it faster, and he's sped up a, system, a process which is already in place. So if Xi Jinping, well, Chinese presidents, they're fixed terms, um, so in a few years' time he'll move on. But I don't think that'd really change it because it's. I mean, who doesn't? Which country doesn't want to be good at football? You know, and China's been pushing in sport, all sports, the Olympics, uh, all kinds of events to trying to get uh, the try uh, get prestige on the world stage through sport, which is uh, which is a well-worn um, path, and everybody understands that that's something which governments and countries like. So, in that way, uh, I don't think. I don't think that, that would change anything if he, if he suddenly disappeared or whatever. What I do think is, what actually what I think is a risk is, in China, the clubs, the owners, the ownership of the club cycles a lot. Um, for example, we're talking about Texchera. He's uh, signed by Jiangsu Suning. Suning just bought a, the club in the closed season. and They've thrown a lot of money in. Who knows what they're going to be? Are they still going to be back in the club in two or three years' time? Maybe the owner gets bored. Maybe he thinks, oh, I've threw 50 million euro uh, for Texera or uh, Ramirez and I'm bored of this now. Or uh, I've spent all this money and it's not really helped the club uh, because these guys got bored after you and left. Maybe I'm not going to throw the same amount of money in anymore. So in terms of predicting the next two or three years, who knows? The club's... The, the, the actual financial backers of the clubs might just take the money out. Uh, maybe someone else will come in, but you don't know because it's not stable and it's not sustainable. No, indeed. But but Cameron, from, from an aspect of you know, imagine you know Liverpool were interested in Texera and they 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 offered something like I think twenty three million sterling for him. 
you know, if Texera had the appetite for a move and, and Liverpool again were to come in for, with 23 million, would the Chinese, you know, the player's going to be unhappy there? Maybe are they going to make him see out his contract? It seems like, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a balance here. There's, there, there's scales that, um, you, you yeah. know, could, could they lose an awful lot of money? Could that kill the appetite? Or do you think, you know, we know that China's a very ambitious country uh, in the sporting arena. Do you think they'll, they'll take that on the chin? Because eventually it will happen if they could keep buying players in their prime. Yeah, I think we'll see players go back to Europe uh, because uh, maybe they didn't fancy China or uh, maybe it doesn't work out and a European club comes in and uh, pays the market value for the player in question. So we could see that. Um, one thing I have to say is uh, I, I do detect a little bit of uh, cynicism about Texera from both of you, and, and I think that's not unreasonable. Uh, but what I would say is these guys, the Brazilian players go and play in Europe. I mean, they're not going to play there for free, right? So, yeah, we're not, I'm not, and also we're not kind of going to pretend that the Chinese league is on the same level as the Premiership or La Liga or, or Bundesliga or so on. But there is an attraction to China which goes beyond football. There's a lot of people in the world who are very interested in China. They want to go and experience the place. They want to go and live there. So, I mean, we can't pretend that these guys are not coming here primarily for the money. But there's there's more of there's there's a a more complex dimension to it. And I think the cultural allure of China, or like for example, Shanghai, it's a global city. It's like Paris and New York in many ways. I think that's an attraction for players which shouldn't be overlooked. And particularly, I mean, for example, you take a guy like Drogba came here uh, three, four years ago. He's a guy who's, he's, he stopped the civil war in the Ivory Coast through his involvement in football. So there is something about China which attracts players, which I think is not purely about money. And I think that's worth mentioning. It's an interesting place and uh, it's got that extra, it's got that extra thing about it, which is attracting the players to come and play here. No, I hear you, Tim. For you, you know your your feelings from what Cameron said there. You know he, he's made some 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 valid points. Maybe maybe you know we, we don't know enough about China to, to to see the attraction. Maybe 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 we're just being a little bit too negative on it. Yeah, perhaps. And I'm I'm sure it's absolutely fascinating. Um, but I would think in the majority of cases of specifically the Brazilian players, it is just the money. Um, Brazilian players. It's, it's difficult to generalize about such a, such a big country. And there are those who go abroad and absolutely love it and adapt and learn languages. But there are also many, 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 many who just live in a little Brazil, wherever they go. You know, whether it's the Ukraine or England or wherever. You know, they're, they're on the internet with their mates. Um, don't bother learning, don't bother learning a language and so on. And, um, I think, We've seen in cases, the biggest cases is perhaps Ronaldinho, but you could throw in Romario. You could you could even, to a certain extent, throw in throw in the great Ronaldo. Once they made their pile, you know, they're more motivated by money than I think the the majority. And part of that comes from the fact that they've grown up in in a country which is dominated by the idea of of consuming, and they've come from backgrounds where. They've been unable to consume as kids. Um, also, there's huge family pressure in Brazil. And so often, 
you get cases of, of uh, you know, the, the guy is 15 and he shows some talent. His entire family stopped working and they will pin all of their economic hopes uh, on the talents of this 15-year-old kid. So he becomes a cash cow for, for an extended family, which obviously makes money very, very important in, in his considerations. So I think with most of them who've gone, I, I wouldn't have thought that cultural considerations about living in China would have been uppermost in their minds. So I would have thought that in the case of most of these players, it's all about the money. No, and, and, you know, the points you make are very valid. And, and, and it's worth maybe highlighting the point, you know, when we say they come from humble beginnings, from, you know, what we establish in Europe and so on, what, what we class as humble beginnings in Europe, this is much, much lower. You know, the, the poverty in Brazil can be, can be very depressing at times. It can be a very, very humbling experience to, to, to experience that, you know, face to face with that. And it takes a little time to, to become accustomed to it. And, and you, in that regard, I find it very difficult to, 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 you know, to blast the players. You know, they are certainly setting their, setting their families up for life with these moves and so on. But, you know, when you think of the great Brazil sides, when you think of the wonderful football that we've experienced from this country, it just seems like that idealism seems to have gone, Tim. It, 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 it hurts me greatly to think like that. Yeah. I mean, I think there was always a degree of, a degree of cynicism. And you read stories about, some of the greats from, from the past who were so idealistic um, that they, they would uh, leave the contract blank uh, and let the club sign, you know, fill in the terms later. And you find out that in some of these cases, the truth may well be that uh, they didn't want to pay child support uh, and that that's why it was left blank and they, they would get their money um, through, uh, through, through other means. So sometimes if you look under the rock, what, what, what was idealism perhaps wasn't, uh, and now there's more money available, and if the old generation could have chased that kind of money, then then they would have done. Um, I think the, the issue of the quality of the football played has another root, that that has to do with, with things that have happened in football, in the way that, in the way that, that football, in the way that Brazilian football ha- has developed. So uh, I'm not going to blame China for that one. So I'd just like, like to uh, just chime in on something Tim said, which... Uh uh, struck a bell. Yeah, I, I, I think. I mean, I don't have a problem believing what Tim says that the Brazilians are, are motivated by money. I, I don't think that's something which anybody uh, would want to argue against uh, fervently. But like Tim was talking about little Brazil, um, I think part of the problem here is, is that you know people don't really understand China, and it's not their fault because China's kind of off the radar in terms of uh, what it's really like inside. I mean, you could just to give you an example. You can in Shanghai, you could you can go down to like the shopping mall, and there's a there's a bar called Latinas down the down the road from me. It's like a Brazilian barbecue. You go in there, it's full of Brazilians. You know, they've got the barbecue, uh, Brazilian beer. So yeah, in China, you could if you're Brazilian, you could very much live in a Brazilian bubble. So you know, maybe that's something which also modern China is able to attract players this way because it now is culturally sophisticated enough to cater to individual cultures such as Brazil. Wow, we have Brazilian churrasco in China. That is a yeah. new one for me. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, I'm curious as well, Cameron, and I'm sure Tim is as well. You know, have, you know, you've been there a while, you've watched this grow. Is the quality of the football, is the standard of this league... In your opinion, is it visible that this investment that has come in, the, say, the last sort of two, three years, is it really evident on the pitch? Is the, the quality of the football, the quality of the product, is it all there now? I think uh, the quality is, is better than people think. But, of course, we're not 
naive enough to think that it's going to be similar to the top European league. Um, in terms of the imports, uh, they make a difference, but the, the, the common denominator in this in the Chinese football equation is that they don't have domestic talent. You're talking about a team who couldn't score against Hong Kong in a World Cup qualifier over over two games. Um, so technically, some of the players are good, but they don't have the mentality. So China's problem is it can't generate its own talent, and because it can't generate its own talent, you bring these guys like, uh, for example, when guys we're talking about Teixeira, guys a really talented player who could have who was destined to be playing in the Premiership, and now he's rubbing shoulders with Chinese players who's they may, they're not they're not so bad, but of course there's there's a very noticeable gap between a player of Teixeira's ability and his Chinese teammates. So for him, it's a big adjustment to get used to playing with players who are not quite at the same level. We, we saw this really very vividly when Nicholas and Elka came at Xinhua, uh, Shanghai Xinhua in 2012. He just wasn't able to adapt his game to, to playing with players who weren't quite as good as him. Uh, and a lot of time is the, the speed of thought, I think, which sets players out in terms of their ability. And when they come and play in, in China, it's like the teammates are just not, not on the ball, literally and figuratively. So that's that's a limiting factor. And I think, going back to what we said earlier, I think a lot of players that come to China, they think, oh yeah, this is great, uh, I can play quite easily. But then after a while, they get disillusioned because, well, there's any number of reasons, but they don't, they're not able to fit in off the pitch. They can't be used to culture or on the pitch to just get frustrated because their teammates uh, are not on the same level and so on. So, yeah, that's a fact. Well, it, it, it's fascinating. So, Tim, have you anything anything more that you, that you want to, to ask Cameron on the back of that? You know, it's, it's a fascinating... You know, I'm just curious about maybe the, the sustainability um, of this league and, you know, the future of it in, in regards to selling it to the world and TV rights and so on, which is obviously going to be in in their plan. But but is there anything more that you, you want to, to push towards Cameron there, Tim? Yeah, just, just one thing, really, which is maybe this is an opportunity for the Club World Cup you know, which is is a competition which is really struggling um, because of the the huge distance between Europe and the rest. When I mean, it used to be Europe and South America, and then the rest, and now with the decline of South American club football, the South American clubs are on the same level as as the champions from from the other continents. But I just wonder whether uh, in in a foreseeable future we might be looking at a at a, a champion of Asia coming from China, capable of doing much, much more than, than Guangzhou did this year uh, or the end of last year in, in, in the Club World Cup and, and giving the, 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 the European team a game because that's what's the, lacking yeah. from, 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 from the, the, the Club World Cup. So do you think, Cameron, in a foreseeable future, you can envisage the thing where you, you will have a match which will engage the interest of the neutrals between the champions of Europe and the Chinese champions of Asia? Yes, I think that's inevitable, actually. Uh, but it's a question of how long that's going to take for that comes about. Uh, I mean, the World Club Cup. I mean, it's, it's interesting you bring it up, Tim, because it, it's a stage for clubs which are not European to make their name uh, and to get one over the, the big guys in Europe. Um, that is, I think, how South American clubs would see it. Um, and for China, China is just China is, is just desperate to. 
get any kind of prove itself and get any kind of global prestige it can. And when it comes to football, it takes these competitions very seriously. Uh, so, for example, you have the Asian Champions League, which has come on a lot in recent years, but it, it still leaves something to be desired in terms of how how seriously it's taken by uh, fans in, in the countries which take part. If you look at the attendances of the a- Asian Champions League games in the Japan or Australia, it's, uh, it was struggles to get the same attendances as, as domestic leagues would attract. But in China, it's like, oh, we're, we're playing in Asia. Okay, everybody, the stadium's full because they really care about their achievement uh, on, on an international forum. And in the same way, uh, they put a lot of uh, put a lot of interest and a lot of emphasis on the World Club Cup as well when Guangzhou played in it uh, back in December. So I think the will is definitely there, um, and I think looking at like the kind of macro picture, the, the good thing I think about that China putting all this money into the into the in, in the game uh, in the transfer market is that it is kind of dragging the balance of power away from Europe a bit uh, and if it's dragged away from Europe then there's a space there which South American clubs can try to fill as well so I think in that way looking at uh, the, the really big picture in that way it's a good thing and I think uh, if you take it out, if you take this power away from Europe I think there's also a space where the World Club Cup could potentially uh, build itself up and uh, get more get more prestige as a competition Unfortunately I think so far that the dynamic has been that China, the growth of China, has it hasn't strengthened South America. And you, you talk about dragging that, that thing away from Europe. Europe, I think, so far is untouched by the by the, uh, the the China dynamic. But what is touched and very very much is 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 South America. So it's, rather than Tim, it, yeah, just just can I ask can I ask? Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I'm interested just to know how. I mean, Brazilian Brazil's been exporting players since your dot. I mean, how? How is, is the Chinese money is it accelerating the exodus? I mean, how is how has it changed compared to how it was before in terms of uh, Brazilian players going abroad? Well, just losing losing just more players more. going away. Yeah, yeah, yeah more players yeah. and 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 the, the the best ones who don't have market in Europe anymore. Uh, Jadson, for example, lovely little playmaker, done Europe, come back. Early 30s, terrific season last year, but no market in Europe. Um, you would have thought he's he's booked in for the next few years to finish his career in Brazil. Not anymore, because he's gone. Uh, Gilles, the centre-back in the national team squad, come back from Europe. Um, maybe would go back, but I, I would doubt it. You know, the late 20s, he hasn't so, perhaps hasn't really got a market in Europe. He's a player you, you think book, booked in for bed and breakfast, you know, for... For Brazilian football for the next few years, he's gone as well. So it, it, it's just right, it, it's right, yeah. We, yeah. so we, we, we've we've lost the cream, and now we're losing below the cream. Uh, and uh, it, right, it, and it, these it, these it, guys, yeah, these guys are not going back to Brazil. Is that the crucial point? Well, they they come back to Brazil, and uh, you know we you, we thought we had them now until the end of their careers. Mm. Uh, we 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 just can't compete with Europe. And it's not only the money, it's the glory as well. If you want to prove yourself um, to the other top players in the world, which is a, an aim that every top player has, he wants to be considered a top player by top players, yep. you've got to do that in Europe's Champions League. So you're going to lose the Neymars and so on. You're going to lose them. That, that, that's inevitable. 
Um, but what China has done has taken away those players who we didn't think we were going to lose. Okay, yeah. That's, I mean, we, we talk, I mean, I, I'm almost uh, focused on China and uh, you know, I've been talking about this for, for quite for the last couple of months. But it's, it's really interesting to see the bigger picture and see how it's affecting the like traditional football powers like Brazil. It's really interesting. And we were just talking, well, with, well, talking with Dave earlier on and yesterday we had uh, uh, River Plate against uh, São Paulo in the Libertadores. Now, these are two massive, massive teams. Uh, and the, yeah. ga- the game was just bereft of quality. It was a dreadful, dreadful game. And I will well remember games between these two teams just less than 20 years ago, around, around the 97 mark, when you had real quality on both teams throughout throughout the pitch. And that's gone now. You know, and, and South American club football has declined to a, to a very worrying extent. I mean, it, national team football in South America has never been stronger. Domestic football in South America has never been weaker. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear that. Um, I think for China, I mean, it's just it's like I've, I've been describing it as like a, the world's biggest football experiment. I mean, it, the situation here is unprecedented. It's not the the, the, the environment and the setup for football here. It's, it's not not it's not something which has existed before. Where you've got like this crazy amount of money just thrown at it, and you've got the government which has made football. Uh, a national priority. But one, one thing I'd say, just just while I mentioned it, is in in every country, and I'm sure Tim, you you, you think of many examples with Brazil as well, is that there's, there's a way how things are said to be and how how the government or how the, the establishment says that this is how things are done. Then there's the reality. Um, and in China, the, the the way the Chinese league and the way the government portray, portrays things and the reality of of things on the ground is very different. Like, for example, uh, we keep reading in the national media how, how the fo- football has been made a national priority by the government, and which is true to, in many ways it's true, they've got like a 50-point plan, which uh, actually we translated on World these Football, actually, um, which sets out the vision for the game and so on. So in the Western, uh, or the, the outsider's eyes, the government is... Uh, throwing everything at the game here. But, for example, last Friday, uh, Beijing Guan's uh, game was postponed simply because there's a, a major political meeting happening in Beijing at the same time. So, in, in one way, you've got a government which is uh, making football a priority, but in reality, there's always other uh, idiosyncrasies of China which are, are, are holding the game back. Like, I mean, where else do you see games being postponed just because there's a political meeting on it? It doesn't make sense. So Brazil, uh, Beijing's first two games are postponed. Um, and it's, it's really kind of strange. And, t- and another example is, um, I mean, we've got players being signed for millions and millions of euros, but on the first round of the opening round of the Chinese league last week, some of the conditions of the pitches are... are at a joke. So, I mean, how come you've got this money which you're throwing at these players and you kind of make sure the grass is right after a uh, three or four month close season? So, you know, like, I mean, there's, there's all these details which which are actually pretty easy to sort out, but they're just not taken care of. So, you've got to wonder, in China, I would say things are, are, not, are not so joined up and coordinated as it looks on the outside. So, in this way, uh, say the Chinese game is still a long way to go to get things uh, up to speed. 
No, that's, that's absolutely fascinating, you know, and, and things that you would probably ne- never think about. Um, you know, I appreciate, Tim, you're, you're on a time scale here. Is, is there anything more that you would want, want to ask, Cameron, just before we, we close out here? Because I say I do appreciate even another engagement. I think I've learned so much that my, my head just isn't <laughs> capable of assimilating any more new information. <laughs> No, and, and when you, when you base it against what we see here in Brazil and, and, you know, the, the signs for me from what Cameron has said are just very, very worrying. You know, between the two of you, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm very, very passionate about the national team here. I, I, I want them to see them succeed at everything. I'd love to see a good league here. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, Tim, I can't feel it's anyone's fault but their own. Um, this has been a problem that has been coming by their own making for so long, and they just don't seem to have the appetite to do anything about it. Amen to that. I mean, uh, if if uh, Chinese football is a strange kind of communism, then Brazilian football, un- unfortunately, continues to be quite a conventional case of feudalism. Um, it's yeah. it, it's uh, the, the way that the game is, is organised, the structure of, of, of Brazil's FA is is stuck in in, in feudal times. Uh, in uh, you know, in, in some kind of in some kind of closed economy. And, uh, we, we are seeing the first seeds of conflict, you know, with the, the clubs beginning to flex their muscles a little bit. And, uh, and, uh, so we're, we're in for interesting times, but it's all happening so slowly, especially in comparison with this Chinese juggernaut. Yeah, and they're just—they they just seem to be wiping ahead, and Brazil are standing still while the rest of the world are moving around them, and they're powerless to stop this at the expense. And, and I dread to think what the expense is, and that's I think the point for me that just 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 eats at the gut is is what will be the expense in ten years' time? What will be the cost of this? You know, you've already uh, you know I, I, I said I love the Libertadores. I do, but when, when I speak to you about 20 years ago, I, I do feel like that, that I've missed something. You know, it, it, it's it's just heartbreaking. Well, we used to get, you know, the old inter, intercontinental when it was the, the champions of Europe against the South, the champions of South America annually in Japan. And the South Americans used to love that as an, as a, an opportunity to show not only that they could beat the Europeans, but they could outplay the Europeans. <laughs> and that's gone. And even, even on those occasions now when the South Americans are able to win, it's park the bus, sneak a goal, and then just run the clock down any way you can, you know. So I, I do. That's I feel desperation. Yeah, yeah, and I feel desperately sorry for people like you who've just been there, who've been here um, for this globalized era, because I, I can tell you, in the time that I've been here, which is 22 years, it it, it hasn't always been like that, uh, and you you are witnessing a great football culture. Um, on its knees in, in terms of quality. And th- th- there are signs here and there. And I think Argentine football has an interesting new generation of, of, of young coaches who are former players who could be taking the pundit money, but instead are, are putting themselves on the line. We haven't really got that in, 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 in Brazil. And as in so many things with, with, with Brazilian football, the coaches, the way that everything is organized, it all seems so anachronistic and uh, it's, it's getting worse by the, by the day because we're, we're talking about a relative situation where one pulls ahead. If you only make a little bit of progress, you find yourself further behind. 
No, it, it, it's it's painful, you know. And, and considering you know, you and I are basically the same age group, Tim, and well, more or less the same age. You know, we grew up with those great Brazilian teams, and t- to see it go like this for me, you know, I've only been here six years, and it's just been a disaster in, in football in terms. Of, I, I thought I was going to see new players, and you, know, it just it just didn't come. But listen, as I say, I, I'm mindful that I know you have another appointment, so I, I'd just like to thank you both, Cameron. Hopefully, we, we can speak again, maybe more at length um, about the the Chinese league as we go along, you know, maybe build an association with here. I I appreciate so much you getting up at this very early hour of the morning, getting up out of your bed to come and talk to us. It's very, very much appreciated. Yeah, that's okay. I was, uh, as I say, I was at the Shanghai Derby last night, so uh, I'm a little bit groggy this morning, but it was great. (laughs) (laughs) Made it worthwhile. (laughs) Listen, but 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 thank you so much for and and Mr. Vickery, as always, the second time you've been with us, it's an, it's an honour and a privilege to speak to you always. Um, love your articles, love your work. Um, you know, as I said, there's there's no one finer in South America. If you if you don't follow Tim or or, or follow his articles, you're missing out on an awful lot. I'd just like to say thank thank you very much again, Tim. I, I, we need to bring this to a close here, and just again, thank you to the guests. Uh, thank you for everybody for listening. I'll say we should be back again next week for, with another edition. I think you, you, you'll, you'll agree it's been a totally fascinating one. And thanks again to the guests and good night from everybody here at WFI. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.